I think we're all set. Thank you, gentlemen, and also Melissa, for the music supplied for us today. It added so much to our worship service. Well, we've come to the main message of our service today, so hopefully you have your Bibles handy, and we're going to start off by turning to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, and we'll start with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, we know that we don't have the ability to understand with any depth in and of ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit, we can have understanding. And we pray today, Father, that you use your word to change us, to change us for the better, to change us to be more like Jesus in every way. So, Father, uh, please uh, help the speaker to convey the message and help the audience to understand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. As was mentioned in the announcements, my wife and I are going to be celebrating an anniversary this month. It's our 40th. So we've been, I think, oh, thank you, thank you. It went by like that, 40 years. And you wonder, where has the time gone? And uh, so we've been thinking a lot about marriage and th- thinking about uh, the 40 years that we spent together and our children, and as I'm sure you have uh, with, with your marriages as well. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about marriage today. And it's interesting the way marriage is actually presented in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 5, at the end of this passage, and and I'm going to come back to it a little bit later in the sermon, but he says in Ephesians 5, verse 31, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But notice what he says next. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So marriage was invented or or planned by God for us to enjoy, but there's a, a profound mystery, a profound meaning to marriage that I think goes totally over the head of most people today, even some Christians. He says it's a mystery that portrays, in a powerful way, Jesus Christ and the church. Every marriage, that was Ephesians 5, verse 32, every marriage represents the relationship between Jesus and the church. And I wonder if most people uh, consider that. <laughs> we should, on a, a regular basis, not just at the time we are married, but throughout our marriage. And it really puts, uh, how shall I say, an importance on our marriage in each of our lives because how do we relate to one another as husband and wife? Well, God teaches us in the Bible, but in every way that we relate to one another as husband and wife, Uh, it represents the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. And we know that Jesus Christ is very dedicated to the church. And so we should be in our marriages as husband and wife. We should love one another as Jesus Christ loves his church. I want to look at a, a couple of different passages today and kind of look at marriage in the beginning, marriage today, and marriage in the future. Uh, Turn with me to uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 2. 
And we're going to see some meaning here that God intended when really the first marriage took place. And we know that that was between Adam and Eve. We know the creation story and we're very familiar with it. You know, it's interesting the way the Bible presents the creation of the first human beings. In Genesis chapter 1, it mentions that God created male and female in, in his image. And so he covers that. We know the origin of the human race. God created us. But in chapter 2 of Genesis, he kind of goes back to that same story and retells it again in more detail. And let's notice what it says here in Genesis 2. As God created uh, Adam and Eve, uh, Genesis chapter 2, where am I? I'll begin in verse uh, 20. It says, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, who was created first, of course, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman for, from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, if this represents Jesus Christ in the church, how exactly do we interpret that? Let's say, for example, that in this case and in this analogy, Adam, the man who was created first, represents Jesus, and Eve, the wife, represents the church. Consider that for a moment. Adam, the, fir the first man, the husband, represents Jesus Christ, and Eve represents the church. Now, as the story tells us, for Adam, there was no suitable helper found. You know, the reason that we were created and the reason that the church came into being is because God wanted children. That's why he created us. <laughs> Not that God was lonely or anything like that, because he's always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he is a God who is love. He's not a, a God who's lovable. He is love, and he likes to share his love, as we all do. So that's why he created the human race, because he wanted to have children that he can share his love with and share his grace with. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the flesh, uh, the place with flesh. Consider this for a moment. I don't know if you ever thought of this before. Think of Adam representing Jesus Christ and Eve representing the church. You know, Adam was created by God scooping up some dirt forming it into a man and breathing the breath of life into him. When it came to creating Eve, why did he do it differently? He didn't scrape up a bunch of dirt again, which he could have done, and breathe the breath of life into her, and there was, there was Eve. The creation of Eve was a little bit different. She came out of Adam, okay? She came out of Adam. God took one of Adam's ribs and out of that rib, he formed the woman. 
There's important significance to that. And in order for him to do that, the man had to fall asleep. God put him to sleep. Is it possible that if Adam represents Jesus Christ and Eve represents the church, in order for the church to be created, in order for the church to come into being, Jesus Christ had to die and fall asleep, okay? He died on the cross. That was necessary for the church to come into existence. Would you consider that? So there could be strong significance there and symbolism. In order for the church, Eve, to come into existence, to come out of uh, Adam, Adam had to be put to sleep or Jesus Christ had to die on the cross in order for the church to begin. And furthermore, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, a spear was stuck into his side and when all of his blood, water and blood came out, and that's when he died. That's when his death took place, when he breathed his last. And it's interesting that God, you know, took a rib out of Adam. He could have taken a foot or a finger or, or whatever. But he took something out of right where Jesus would have been stabbed with the sword. And he was asleep. He, he died in a sense. And out of that rib... And uh, that was taken out of Adam when he was sleeping. God formed the church. Does that seem right to you? There's symbolism there, in other words. When Adam was created first, representing Jesus Christ, Eve was created later, representing the church. It took the death of Jesus Christ for the church to be able to be created and to be formed. So I think there's important significance there. It talks about a man leaving his father and finding his wife and cleaving to her. Jesus Christ came from the father to this earth. He left the father behind. He left his, his father to come to earth to find his wife, the church, and to be married to her. So starting from the beginning, from the first marriage ever, there's important significance there of Jesus Christ and the church. There's important symbolism Marriages symbolize the relationship between Jesus and the church, okay? So every marriage from that point forward, coming down to our marriages, has this symbolism built in. Husband and wife representing Jesus Christ and the church. Let's go back to Ephesians 5 now. Ephesians chapter 5. And it talks about the relationship that should take place in marriage as God ordained it to be. Now granted, I think a lot of marriages fall short of this relationship. A lot of times people don't really understand what the relationship between husband and wife should be. Uh, you know, I always counsel people before I, ma I marry them. Somebody comes to me all excited and says, well, Pastor John, will you perform a, a wedding for us, a marriage ceremony? I say, Okay, I can do that, but I'll let you know up front, I require counseling to take place. We're going to meet at least three times, and we're going to discuss what marriage is all about. <laughs> and uh, that's a requirement. Now, I know pastors who counsel more than that. I know one pastor who says, we will meet seven times before I'll marry you. So pastors are very careful. They don't want people to get married haphazardly. You know, if you want to do that, you can go to a justice of the peace and give them enough money and they'll perform a ceremony for you. But they say, well, I want a church marriage. Okay, 
Uh, you can have a church marriage, but if you're going to do that, you're actually calling God to be involved in your marriage uh, relationship. Do you understand that? You know, some people just like to have a, a church marriage because of the, you know, the, a nice setting, all of the color and all of the pomp and circumstance. Uh, that's fine. But if you're going to get married and you're going to be married to this person for 40 years or longer, you need to understand what this is all about. So we try to explain to them the, the meaning of marriage, what it symbolizes. It symbolizes the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And do you, are you willing to put forth that effort to make that work, to make that your kind of uh, marriage that you're going to have and, and relationship in marriage? Because that's what God desires, because it represents something to him and it should to us too. So Paul is trying to encourage people who are married and who are thinking about getting married. In Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. He says in verse 21, to start off, he talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's the way that we should be toward one another as Christians, submitting to one another. Uh, holding others in higher esteem than yourself. But it really shows up in marriage relationship. He says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So you, as a wife, you represent the church, you see. And the church should always be in submission to Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. He's the head of the church. It is called, the church is called the body of Christ. So in all things, we want to submit to his leadership. You know, in the church, we don't try to take command of the church and we don't try to usurp authority as, as a member of the church. We recognize that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He has established a pastor or a team of pastors as kind of authority within that congregation. So we don't want to do things to rebel against that or to usurp that authority or, or take that authority upon ourselves because we have respect for the church and what it's all about. So we need to see that in our marriages too. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So I've talked to women over the years who have no problem submitting to the Lord but they have a problem submitting to their husband. And what Paul is trying to teach here is that just as Jesus is the head of the church, God has put the husband in charge of, of the marriage relationship. Now, that's bad news in this day and age in our society today to talk about anybody submitting to anybody else. But as long as we understand that and we do our best to, to follow this instruction, it's going to be a blessing to our marriages. So why would wives want to submit to their husbands? Because the husband is in the role of Jesus Christ to the church. That's a heavy responsibility for the husbands too. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. So it's hard today for men to understand their role of leadership in a marriage. It's not just the person who makes the, the final decisions, because you always want to get input from your wife, because you love her and you 
care about how she feels and, and what her desires are and what her dreams are. But it, when it talks about the husband being the head of the, the marriage, it requires first and foremost to provide spiritual leadership in the marriage. So in other words, a husband might think, well, hey, I'm in charge here. God put me in charge. I'm the man. I'm the husband. Fine. Start off by setting the spiritual leadership in that relationship. Amen. You know, as a husband, do you pray in the family? Setting the spiritual leadership. As the husband, do you make sure that your family gets to church? on a regular basis, that's the spiritual role of the husband. God put you in charge of the marriage so that you provide the spiritual leadership first and foremost. And that's something you see lacking a lot amongst Christians today, Christian men. They're not providing the spiritual leadership that their family needs, that their wife needs, that their children need. So yeah, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Then he goes on to say, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. So here's the beautiful setting of a marriage relationship in God's eyes. The wives submit to the husbands as the church submits to Jesus Christ. And the husbands love the wife just as Jesus loves his church. So what, what we're doing here in marriage is we're picking two of the most important characteristics of Jesus Christ, submission and love, and we're acting that out in our marriage relationship. Now, what do I mean by submission and love here? Let's turn to John 6, verse 38. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he came to earth, one of the greatest lessons that he taught and one of the greatest realities that he lived was submission to the Father. John 6, verse 38 says this. Jesus speaking, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That was Jesus' outlook on life during his, his, his earthly life, his earthly ministry. I mean, he was the son of God, but he didn't come down to this earth to call the shots and to take care of his own agenda. His agenda was the agenda of the Father. He came to obey and to do everything that his father asked him to do. That was his whole life. That was his whole ministry. He looked to the father's leadership and tried to please the father in everything that he did, even in going to the cross. Remember when he was in the garden the night before his crucifixion and he cried out 
in agony and misery, anticipating the pain and the suffering that he was going to have to go through, dying on the cross. And he prayed in a similar way that we would pray. Father, if it's possible that this cup, you know, what, this experience that I'm about to enter into of dying on the cross, if this cup can be removed, but, he said, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted to the Father. Well, he submitted all his life to the Father. He was in submission. Not seeking his own will, but seeking the will of the Father. God's teaching us that in marriage, that should be our attitude. Submitting to each other. And he specifies the, the wife submitting to the leadership of the, of the husband. So, in too many marriages, you see... People vying for power, husband and wife vying for power. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to call the shots? Rather than submitting to one another, that's the attitude that Jesus Christ demonstrated, and that's the attitude that Jesus Christ taught us that we're to have as Christians, but especially in the marriage relationship. And I can remember incidents over the years counseling marriage problems with people, and it was all about power. And it was all about who's going to call the shots and who's going to make the decisions. Now, the second characteristic that he talked about here is to love. The husbands are to love the wives as Christ loves the church. Okay, turn with me to John 15, verse 13. John 15 and verse 13. Because he explains the love that the husband is to have for the wife. Romantic love, you know, that's wonderful. And you enjoy that a lot in your, your married years together. But notice what he says here. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So the love that Jesus is talking about is a sacrificial love. You love your wife so much that you're willing to say no to your own desires, and your own wishes, and maybe your own dreams in some cases, because you love your wife so much, you want to please her. You want to serve her. And remember Jesus at this time, he proved his, you know, love by dying on the cross, by laying down his life for his friends. So, the, the type of love that a husband should have for his wife is a love, a serving love, a sacrificial love. Now, there are a lot of people interested in romantic love, sexual love in our society today. But how many people involved in marriage realize that it's a, ser- a love that is a serving love and a sacrificial love? That you deny yourself because you love your, your wife that much. That's what Jesus did for the church. It wasn't easy for him to die on the cross. It was very painful. It was agony. But he loved the church so much. In fact, he loves the whole human race because he wants them to be part of the church, the bride of Christ, that he died for everybody. So those are hard words. That goes against what most marriages are built on these days. And that's why you see so many marriages coming to an end. Because it's all based on self, the desires of the self. 
the power struggle within marriage. The way God designed marriage to be is a total 180 difference from that. And can you imagine a picture of a marriage where the wife submits to the husband's leadership in many ways, and at the same time, the husband is loving the wife just as Jesus loved the church. Now, there's a marriage. That's the kind of marriage that pleases God. And that's why uh, it's said that marriage is a mystery. A marriage is a mystery. I mean, marriage the way God designed it to be to the world is a mystery because they don't understand. And you know, that's why it's important too that we're told in the Bible that we shouldn't become unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Because, you know, we as a Christian, we enter into marriage and it's so important for the person that we're going to marry who understands and believes the things that you understand and believe when it comes to God, when it comes to things like this, God's plan for marriage, what it pictures, what it portrays. You know, I wanted to be sure when I got married that I was going to marry a person who believed the way I believed. That was important to me. And I know it was important to my wife, too. So we entered into our marriage with counseling. We talked to ministers and, you know, got advice uh, on different things. And we're glad we did. But that wasn't the, you know, the end of all things. It took a lifetime, 40 years of denying yourself, serving the other, you know, loving the way God loves. And there were good times and there were bad times. But, you know, God has seen us through it all. So I think on a daily basis, when we think about our marriage relationship, we never stop learning. There are always lessons to be learned. There are, always, there are always trials that we have to go through. And we have to rely on God and depend on Him and draw closer to Him in, in every way. Because there are no promises. You know, even when you enter into a marriage in a godly way, uh, that you're not going to face trials and difficulties and disappointments of one sort or another. They're going to happen. Just like things happen in the church, too. But knowing that God is in charge, that he's the good shepherd, that he's got control of it, that he's going to get us through it. And the church has lived in, in pretty much peaceful times in our lifetimes. Just think of the early church when it was against the law for them to worship the God that they worshipped. The Roman Empire didn't allow it. And if you were found out worshipping God that was not the, the Roman God... You could be arrested. That's what Paul used to do, remember? He used to travel around arresting people and maybe even putting some to death because of their beliefs. So, instructions here for, for the man and wife. Let's go back to Ephesians 5 now. Pick it up in verse 30. For we are members of his body. So that's the way husbands and wives should treat one another, especially Christian husbands and wives. Because this marriage that we're in represents Jesus' relationship with the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you 
uh, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So we are, in our marriages, we are acting out, if you will, the relationship between Jesus and his church. Now, unfortunately, because we're still human, and our human nature can spring up from time to time, none of us does this perfectly. It certainly didn't happen with Adam and Eve. Because shortly after God brought them together as husband and wife, what happened? Well, sin entered in. And it pretty much disrupted the whole thing. And down to our day today, you know, even with our best efforts as Christians, difficulties still come up. So Adam and Eve kind of acted out how marriage should be originally, but they failed. They stumbled along the way, and they had a lot of difficulties in their time. But then Jesus Christ came along, who is called the second Adam. The second Adam. Turn with me in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. He came to present this role once again of husband and wife in a perfect way. Jesus dealt with his wife, the church, in the perfect way. He did everything that he was supposed to do as the perfect husband. Loving his wife in a sacrificial way, which he acted out perfectly through his death on the cross. Notice it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, the physical guy who was in the Garden of Eden, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Let's read on, verse 46. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. So the physical man, Adam, came first. Jesus came later. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That's you and me. We're no longer just physical like Adam was. We're more and more like Jesus is, because he is now dwelling in us. We have his Holy Spirit. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, we were created human to look like Adam, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So this is what happened that has now given us the ability to have the kind of marriage that God really intends. Because we don't, you know, rely on just our carnal human nature in our relationship with our husband or wife. We have God's Holy Spirit who is in the process of changing us to be more Christ-like and Christ-centered. So our marriages should stand head and shoulders above the marriages that we see in the society around us. Unfortunately, too many times our marriages tend to be brought down to the level of the marriages in the society around us. I saw a uh, survey taken recently that said when you do all the counting, there's just as many divorces amongst Christians as there are divorces amongst non-Christians. And you know, that shouldn't be. Why shouldn't it be? Because we're being changed by God. We're being led by the Holy Spirit. 
We look at our marriages differently now than people in the world look at their marriages. We understand the significance of our marriages, and God gives us the wherewithal to treat one another the way we should be treated, the way Jesus treats the church, and the way the church submits to and respects Jesus in his leadership role. And we are now in that type of relationship with Jesus Christ as members of the church. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11.2. 2 Corinthians 11.2. In 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul says to the church at Corinth and to all of us as church members, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. And when he says pure virgin, it means not having had relations with false gods, with gods that are not really gods. That was the, the problem with God's relationship with Israel in the Old Testament. You know, God looked at Israel as his bride, you know, someone that he would marry, but as God says, she went off and played the harlot. She got involved, Israel did, with pagan nations, with their pagan religions, and they were continually worshiping pagan gods. So God rejected Israel because of their harlotry. Now we as members of, of the church, we have to understand we're betrothed to Jesus Christ, and, you know, the pastor, the minister is trying to present you to God eventually as a pure virgin who will marry him. So we're always, as our pastoral team in the church here, we're always trying to lead you to Jesus Christ. We're trying to teach you to focus on Jesus Christ, to not get carried away with, with crazy ideas and false gospels and things like that. Our role as pastor is to try to preserve you, to teach you, to get you ready to the time that you're going to meet Jesus Christ face to face, and a great marriage ceremony is going to take place at that time. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. It pictures that time. We see marriage from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. God talks about the marriage relationship and what it pictures. And here's the time at Jesus' return, Revelation 19 and verse 6. John, of course, writing this book, he says, Then I heard and, and, uh, what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. So Jesus has returned now. What's going to happen next? Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And his bride, the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And how many parables did Jesus talk about? Uh, you know, the bridesmaids ready for the marriage to take place. And, and a great marriage supper will happen. And uh, there'll be great feasting and great celebration at that time. 
It all comes down to and it all pictures the final culmination of things where Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, will marry the bride who is the church. That symbolism starts at the very beginning of the Bible and it carries through to the very end of the Bible. And in the meantime, what about our marriages? Well, understanding what we understand about what our marriage symbolizes, we need to be doing our best to follow God's instruction on how to be the proper husband, how to provide the right kind of Christ-centered leadership for your wife and for your children. You set the tone for what the marriage is going to be like in so many ways. And the wife, you know, is to submit to her husband, to submit to his leadership. Why? Because that's the way God made it to be. Adam was created first and then Eve. Jesus Christ came first, then the church. You know, it's a great blessing to do your best and to try to be the, the kind of husband God wants you to be, to try to be the kind of wife that God wants you to be. It's a lifelong learning process. Amen. You know, when I first got married, I thought I was going to be a great, outstanding husband. I'll tell you what, I had a lot to learn. I learned how self-centered I was and, and how, uh, you know, power-hungry I was and, and how, how much I thought about myself and you know, with my wife's help and certainly with God's help, I came to see that, no, you got to change. <laughs> That's not what marriage is all about. And I know my wife learned lessons herself, too, especially about submitting. You know, it's great to be able to submit to Jesus Christ because he's always perfect and he always does what's best. How about submitting to a husband who's not like that? That's a real challenge for a lot of uh, wives, Christian wives. Well, you know, that's where we pray that God help our husband to be the kind of husband he needs to be. Or in some cases, for the husband praying for the wife, that she be the kind of wife that God wants her to be. And having the patience and trust in Jesus Christ. And like I said, in many ways, it's a lifelong process. I know I'm a better husband now than I used to be. And my wife knows that she's a better wife now than she used to be. And we're all growing in that respect. We're all growing in that regard. So it's a lifelong process, but you know what? Our marriages need so much more attention than we're giving them. It's a, it's a heavy uh, responsibility to know that you're involved in a relationship that is supposed to represent Jesus' relationship with the church. Amen. Boy, every once in a while, you know, I wise up and think, that was a dumb thing to do. <laughs> Would Jesus do that to his church? Of course not. You know, we need to be loving, we need to be forgiving, because Jesus forgives the church all the time, doesn't he? By his grace, and how many times do we mess up and need to be forgiven? And he's quick to forgive. So in our marriage relationship, we need to forgive one another daily. We need to pray for one another, we need to support one another, we need to serve one another, because our marriages represent something powerful. And to most people, as Paul said, it's a mystery. They don't get it. They don't understand that. But God expects more of us because we do understand, don't we? So let God bless our marriages and let us all respond now and try harder to be the kind of person that God wants us to be because of what we represent. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the instruction today. We see that marriage is so important to you. You 
thought about it from the beginning of creation, and you're going to think about it for all time after Jesus' return. Because it's all about relationships, godly relationships, Christ-centered relationships, the relationship of Jesus to the church. So Lord, help us to look at our marriages and see where we may be lacking and see where we need to serve more and where we need to submit more and where we need to provide the godly type of leadership more in this marriage. Uh, Marriage isn't just going to happen by itself. It's going to take a lot of work and effort and a lot of prayer and a lot of your help, Father. So please put a blessing on each of our, our marriages and help us to see our own personal responsibilities in marriage more clearly. Whether our mate is a believer or not, we still have a responsibility to do what we've been told to do as a husband or a wife. So Lord, thank you so much that you care for us, that you're willing to provide the instruction and encouragement we need because we do need it. We thank you, Lord. Now help us to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.